Hey, what's happening, folks? And welcome to the Millennial Boomer Podcast. It's your host, uh, Jonathan Ra. And today we'll discuss Asian American voter turnout in Georgia, Mayor Bill de Blasio's apology to the Asian American community, and why some Asian American women prefer that white D. Let's get it. All right, guys, I hope you've all been well. I took a week off. Um, was just doing a couple things here and there. Um, and I'm back. So it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, let's... Uh, I wanted to give out a quick note. Listen, if you've... And, I, and I've said this on my previous episode. Look, if you listen to the podcast and you have any comments or feedback, uh, please reach out to me through DMs. We'd really appreciate it. Also, you know, just... Uh, Tell me that you're listening, right? So if you are listening, uh, you know, send me a message and uh, I would love to know who you guys are. I need to know who are my listeners. Um, it's, it's important for me because I don't have access to that, like individually, who you guys are, your names or email addresses. I don't have that. Um, so I would like to know if you're one of them. Um, I have some data. So the podcast uh, data through BuzzFeed, I'm sorry, not BuzzFeed, Buzzsprout that I upload uh, the episodes to gives me some data, like roughly your age estimates um, and things like that. But, you know, I don't have access to exactly who you guys are. So please, 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 if you listen, send me a DM. All right. um, Personal updates. Well, not not personal update, but more about let me share a little bit more on who I am. Uh, Okay, so and I, and I've started doing this like a couple of weeks ago. I, I share a little quick story about something I, I, I experienced in the past. Um, not necessarily relevant to the podcast itself and what I try to talk about, but, you know, more about so you guys can get to know me. So I want to share, I wanted to share a little bit something um, about a time in my life back in 2010. So let's, let's rewind time. 2010, that's about what, 10 years ago? It's exactly 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, uh, there was a time when I started to work at a place called Korea Palace. It was exactly March 2010. And uh, Korea Palace is a Korean restaurant that was located in the city on 54th Street between Park and Madison. uh, I'm sorry, Lexington and Park Avenue. And I worked there for about three and a half years. And the reason why I worked there, I was supposed to actually be attending school at the time. But uh, unfortunately, due to financial hardship that my father had to go through, uh, I started to work at this restaurant, right? So there I am, 20 years old. Uh, It's 2010. All my friends are in school, worrying about midterms and, uh, you know, finals. And here I am trying to figure out how to support me and my father for, you know, basic living expenses, right? So I'm in a different situation than most people anyway. Uh, he, my father did have a heart attack back in 2009 and, uh, that, that led to, um, a downturn right in our family because in sometime in 2009, he had a business venture failure that sort of sucked up all of, you know, our resources and that, you know, and, and the fact that it didn't work out, it, it led me to, you know, dropping out of school and, um, trying to figure out how to survive. So I ended up working at this place called Korea Palace for about three and a half years. And the reason why it was only, 
Well, I say only, but you know, it, it was a long time. But the reason why I had to stop working because Korea Palace wasn't doing well, the business itself was suffering, and uh, the owner decided not to move forward with the business. And you know, when that happens, right, everybody gets laid off <clears throat> or fired or whatever you want to say because the business is closing down. This forces this this forced me to find some other work, and. Um, I had a friend at the time and he said, you know, John, why don't you look to working in um, retail banking, right? Personal, like personal finance. And I knew nothing about banking at the time. I, I had no interest in banking. But, you know, he said, I think you'd be great with people. I think, uh, you know, you're personable, uh, you're likable to some degree. And uh, why don't you go for it? So he gave that sort of seed in my mind. I didn't act on it until I had to. Right. So the restaurant went under. I'm out of work. I worked at a Japanese bar for a couple of months. But before I worked at that Japanese bar, I went on like a, like a applying spree, right? So all the banks that have open positions, uh, personal banking positions all over New York City. And uh, I got a call back from Citibank in Koreatown in Manhattan, and they asked me to go for an interview. And this was, this was, um, 2013 around October, right? At this point, you know, I'm not working at Korea Palace anymore. I'm working at a bar and I get a call, Hey, come, come in for an interview. So I, I, I go in for my first interview, uh, with the branch manager at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I went in there without any hope, you know, I mean, I don't think I, I did own a suit. I had like a cheap, like a very cheap ass suit, put on some fake tie and uh, I went in and I had my little shitty resume in my hands and, you know, I, I didn't prepare, you know, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know, you know, what, what they were looking for. I had, I had no idea. The banking industry was something completely, you know, uh, abstract to me, but nonetheless, um, you know, the branch manager saw my resume and he was like, why don't you come in for an interview? So I went and I remember that day very well, right? Because I went in and I slept extremely late the night before. So I'm, I'm all tired and it's like 10 in the morning. I'm, I'm waiting in the lobby uh, at, at Citibank in Koreatown and uh, I wait for about 10 minutes and I see other people uh, lining up for the interview. I see about like what, three other, three other dudes? And they're all shaking. They're all, you know, resume in their hand, like kind of preparing what to say. And and there I am. I literally laid back on the chair, closed my eyes, looked up with a little folder uh, with the resume inside. And again, I had absolutely no expectations of getting anywhere. Um, so after about 10 minutes of waiting, my name gets called and uh, they said, hey, uh, the branch manager would like to see you. So I go in, introduce myself. And uh, the assistant branch manager at the time was there <clears throat> with the branch manager and, and they were looking, you know, they were interviewing people. So overall, I, I mean, I don't want to get into the very details of, you know, what I said. And, and the, the basic gist of it was I, I said who I was and what I did and my experience at the restaurant for three and a half years, um, my work ethic, my situation, why I couldn't finish school, blah, blah, blah. And um, that was it. And the interview was for about an hour. And I interviewed a couple of other of the staff at the time interviewed me as well. And I left. So 
that was it. I had no hope for a callback. I know I just kind of went for it without, you know, without thinking much of it. And uh, a couple of days later, I get a call saying, hey, uh, branch manager really likes you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The branch manager called me directly and he said, hey, look, uh, you know, out of all the people we've, we've interviewed, we like you the best. We would like you to interview with the area director and, um, you know, we'll take it from there. So he said, come stop by my office before you go interview with the AD. <clears throat> and this, this was probably, again, around, I think it was around October of 2013, seven years ago. And now things are kind of different, right? So now I get this call back and now I'm kind of like shaking. Right now I'm like, okay, this might be a reality for me, right? Here I was working you know, at a restaurant for three and a half years and I work at this Japanese bar in the city and I'm about to you know, join Citibank if everything goes well with this second interview. So, uh, you know, a lot of things crossed my mind, you know, but what is banking really all about? And do I really, am I a really good fit, right? I know they needed a bilingual speaker and someone with, um, you know, ex- experience within, you know, with talking to people and getting to know people. I really didn't think restaurant experience sort of, I guess, uh, played a role, but, I, you know, I, I guess it did, right? It's, um, there are a lot of similarities within the hospitality industry and banking, right? Especially in banking, if you're in sales and, and you're constantly, you have to meet people, do meetings, uh, go out to see people and make them like you and trust you and, and show that you're uh, knowledgeable. You know, if you have to do that, um, restaurant experience does help, right? It does help. So anyway, I go into, I go into uh, this interview with the area director. And before that interview, um, I, I saw the branch manager real quick. And he was like, I, I remember what he told me. He says, look, John, if, uh, you know, if things work out, then um, HR will give you a call. And um, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, good luck to you. Right. And I said, OK. And, and, I, and I go see the area director. And I remember I was pretty nervous, but, you know, I went in there just kind of with this like, here goes nothing, right, kind of attitude, right? I, I don't know what interview prep looks like. I don't, I mean, I don't know what are the, you know, how you're supposed to answer certain questions that the way they want to hear it, right? I, I mean, I kind of had an idea, but like, I'm not well practiced or prepped or anything. You know, I was 23 at the time, no college degree, <clears throat> no college degree, and, uh, you know, just going for it. So I interviewed with the area director, and I remember him very well, right? Very clearly. This uh, older, more cordial Irish American gentleman. And uh, he, he seemed, uh, throughout the interview, he seemed to kind of take a liking to me, right? I was this young guy trying to um, do banking. I don't know anything about banking. And he knew that. Um, but it was all about, can we, do we want to invest in this Jonathan Rott, right? Do we want to invest in this guy so that he could, you know, be a banker that, that will give us some returns. And um, I, I think after interviewing with the area director, I felt okay, right? I wasn't too sure, right? So the next step was waiting for a call from HR. And I remember that day, I remember that day very well. The interview was at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I stopped by Koreatown at 9.30 to see the branch manager uh, at the time. 
And after the interview, and I remember um, everything else all said and done, it was roughly a little past 11 in the morning. And uh, I get on the train and I'm going home and I'm on the seven train. And I remember the ride home on the seven train. It was for some reason that day, uh, the cart, the cart that I was sitting in was, it was empty. And I remember just sitting in that seven train, going back to Flushing, going back home from the city. And uh, I get a call, right? I get a call from a strange number that I don't know. And uh, I picked up and it was, you know, HR at City and said, hey, uh, is this Jonathan Rice? I said, yes. Hey, look, uh, I'm calling from City. My name is blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I'm from HR. And uh, the interview with George Maloney went well. And, and I said, George Maloney was the area director at the time. And I said, uh, I think so. And she said, well, you know, uh, great. Congratulations. You got the role. You got the position. Here is here are the next steps. And I remember, you know, and everything else is, you know, the rest is history. And, and, and I remember at the time um, getting that phone call was such a such a big moment Right. Like it was a very pivotal moment in my life because it was it was the time where I really felt, you know, after all these years of struggling. Right. That I got my big break that I got my finally got my big break. And I remember tearing up. <laughs> I remember tearing up and I remember, you know, you know, just thanking God and, and praising God. Like, you know, this is uh, this is all his work. And uh, it was it was just a, it was just a, an extraordinary feeling right at the time because it was like, I don't deserve this position. There's nothing I did. I don't feel qualified, but here I am. And uh, I got the role. And from there on, right from there on, November 12th was my first day at City 2013. Uh, I started my banking career. Right. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I thought I'd share that. Um. Because, you know, there is, you know, before, you know, besides me doing this <laughs> and uh, now I now I work at a, a, a bar in the city and podcast on the side, um, I did have that time. Right. It was about six years within the corporate America banking industry. Good times. Good times. OK, so let's quickly talk about COVID. John, why do you always talk about COVID? Why do you always talk about Corona? Right. I, I didn't come to this podcast to, to, to hear you rant about, you know, lockdowns. And look, I always talk about coronavirus because it's the unfortunate reality that we have to face daily. Okay. It's not because uh, I want to talk about it um, all the time and it's my favorite topic. No, but because it's something that it's, it's in our, it's our reality. Right. And, and I think um, maybe you guys keep up with the news. Maybe you don't. But regardless, I wanted to share how how I think, right, of of the whole situation and the lockdowns and restrictions and how we're handling everything. So, you know, that, that's why, you know, I try to give my perspective, right, as much as I can, as much as I can. So, you know, for me, again, look, with COVID, the numbers that we're seeing, um, they're pretty bad, right, in terms of just raw numbers, right? I think recently we had... 300,000, we hit like this, this mark of like 300,000 deaths in America. And yes, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. 
And what I'm thinking now is I wish the, the media, they gave, you know, they broke down the stats a little bit more, right? Like who is getting hospitalized? So we see the hospitalized number, but who is getting hospitalized? What age group? What kind of conditions do they have? Who is dying? I want, I want to know who is dying from Corona, right? Is it people in their 20s? You know, is it people in their 30s? Like, like what, what's, the, what's the breakdown? Because it's not like, oh, John, they don't have... No, they have that information. They absolutely have that information, right? And even if you go to the CDC webs, website, which I've, which I've gone, you know, numerous times, it is so hard to extrapolate uh, that data, you cannot find it very easily where, like, the age group of who is dying from corona, um, you know, at what percent, who is getting hospitalized, and, you know, if they have any, uh, you know, any kind of other comorbidities co- or anything. You can't get that information easily. And I wonder why, you know. Why is that such a hard thing to obtain? Should it be that hard hard to obtain? I mean... If we're really serious about this virus and we're really serious about economic recovery, then I think we need a little bit more information, right, uh, to understand how we're supposed to go about our days, right? If you just tell us to put on a mask, because if you don't put on a mask, you're going to kill grandma, right? That kind of messaging is, to me, it's extremely childish. Look, I get it. If you put on a mask, right, there's a less chance of you catching corona, and if you have a less chance of, you know, catching the virus, then obviously there is a less chance of you passing the virus, right? Or if you have the virus and you may be asymptomatic, um, but you put on the mask, then there is a less chance of you spreading it, right? Look, I get that. But first of all, it's never portrayed like that, right? Like it's never said like that. It's always, hey, wear a mask. If you don't wear a mask, then... Uh, you're a MAGA Trump-loving idiot or you don't care about older people or you think that the coronavirus is a hoax. Look, I, if you're going to... It's all about how you position it, okay? It's all about how you word it and how you give it out there to the public because when I'm hearing it, I just hear one message. Hey, fucker, wear a mask, all right? <laughs> like, like that's all, that's all you hear. Right, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo's qu- uh, tweet every Saturday. It's Saturday. Wear a mask. Like really? <laughs> like could you? Couldn't we give? Can't the media, right? That cares apparently so much about coronavirus. Can't they give a little bit of a more breakdown, right? Of of who's getting the coronavirus and who's actually getting hospitalized. Okay. Do we always have to see in the media a panic, coronavirus panic? Like, again, I'm not making light of the situation, okay? But, you know, I think for the most of us, we are self-sufficient, self-thinking adults, and we can come up with our own actions and opinions on how to go about with the virus. But in order to do that, you need to give us the information, okay? In order for me to make an informed opinion, I need to know the facts, I need to know the detailed breakdown. If this virus is such a you know, problem in the United States, which it is, but the media is very hesitant to give the actual breakdown on who is getting it, 
who is going who is going to the hospitals and who is dying from it don't you think that you know wouldn't that be nice to get that information right i mean is it that is it that much to ask i mean they have the information but they don't make it easy for us to obtain it and i wonder why right i wonder why uh, that information is kind of hard to obtain i can only imagine i can only guess but if I were to guess, if you were to give me, if you were to allow me this, if I were to guess why, it's because they don't want you to know the truth of who is actually getting hospitalized at what percent and who is actually dying from it. Okay, they want to, they want to, they don't want to give you that detailed information. Okay, because if you do that, then God forbid, you know, some young 20 year olds go out for dinner. Oh, no, terrible, right? Uh you know, they, they don't they don't want they don't want you to get you know, they don't want that information out there in the public. Because if you give out that information, then God forbid, oh, there's gonna be a gathering of about seven to eight people at someone's house. Right? And they're all in their thirties. Oh, well, well, no, no, can't have that. Right. We have to scare the living daylights out of everyday Americans and not give them the actual details of what of who the virus actually affects the most. Like we all know, we have an idea, right? We're all, we have a vague idea of, yes, we know that young people don't really, you know, they're not affected as much than older folks and people with comorbidities, but we don't, we're not going to give you those exact numbers because apparently, and, and, and maybe, you know, and I, and I really do think this, but I, I really do think that the media doesn't or the CDC doesn't trust the average American to do the right thing. So they don't want to give you the facts. They don't want to give you the actual breakdown of who is dying from the virus. And you might say, well, why is that important? Just wear a fucking mask, John. Why is that important? Well, it's kind of important because I want to know the details of how this virus spreads, who it kills, right? Because maybe if maybe if more Americans knew that, then we would act accordingly to mitigate that, right? Instead, you, you give this very wide blanket uh, just statements. Wear a mask. Coronavirus kills. If you don't wear a mask, you're going to kill grandma. Like, to many Americans, when they hear that, including myself, it's just a lot of bullshit. That has to, that has to like, people have to know that. Right? It's not like when the, the media and the government tells us, hey, stay at home. Okay, because if you don't stay at home, if you walk around with it with, and you don't social distance where there's a lot of people, you're going to kill somebody. You can't just say that without giving a more detailed breakdown of what the coronavirus actually does and who it targets. Okay, so anyway... Um, enough on that. Look, we need a new aid package. All right, we need we need a new aid stimulus package. Okay, uh, businesses are dying. I read this one article in the news, and uh, it spoke on how the restaurant industry in New York City, by the end of this pandemic, who knows when that is, uh, like ninety percent. Something ridiculous, like 90% of the businesses will close. 90%, 90%. Now, I don't, I don't know if that number is 
accurate, right? I, I don't even know how you would measure how many businesses would close. I mean, I think you would have, you can have an idea, you can guess. 90%, I think it's extreme. I would have to say uh, at least 50%, right? 50% of, you know, bars, restaurants, uh, cafes, any kind of service industry related business, um, they would probably close. And, you know, associated, like I've said, I've said this before, associated with these businesses are other businesses, right? You have vendors, right? You have suppliers, whatever, whatever it may be, they're all going to take a hit, including employees, business owners, everything related. And that's a massive, massive amount of people. So I think this is already, I mean, there's already a full shutdown out in California, and uh, New York City may see its uh, full full shutdown soon. So again, guys, we need a we need a new package, right? We need a new. If they can pass, if Congress can pass, what was it like one point something trillion? I, I forgot the number. A dollar was it one point eight? Care package back then. Uh, we can we can pass one again now, right? Look, honestly, we print money, guys. Okay, if we need USD, we print that bad boy. Okay. We can just print it. Oh, worry about inflation. No, there may be a little bit of inflation, but not to the point where, you know, everything all of a sudden is going to cost double. There may be a little bit of inflation. I, I can see that. But look, the world revolves around the U.S. dollar. Okay, if we print out another $2 trillion or whatever, $1.2 trillion, it's going to be fine. We'll be fine. So, look. I know Congress knows they can do it, and I know Republicans and Democrats are fighting to find the best package, but as they're fighting, and if they don't pass something this week, then we're not going to see anything get passed till next year, right? Something needs to happen this week and signed by President Trump so that we see aid immediately, okay? It's important, not not just for me personally, but for a lot of the businesses that we patron, Okay, that cafe that you go to all the time every morning, it may close. The bar and the restaurant that you go every other weekend, it may not be there anymore. All right, and maybe to some of you, that's not important. Well, I don't care. You know, I have my job and uh, my family's fine and we're, we're Gucci. We're good. That may be, look, that may be your situation, right? But you guys know me. Look, I, I care about the community, right? I care about what's happening with Asian Americans. And in New York, unfortunately... Uh, we're being hammered with this economic downturn, right? The the Asian American unemployment still above ten percent. You know, a lot of it, a lot of it is tied to the service industry. So, the more and more this shut, the more and more this virus kind of goes rampant, and more restrictions uh, are are in place. It affects our community, whether you like it or not. It affects us. So, you know, do we need a new package? Yes. Am I being selfish for saying, oh, you're only saying that because you want to see, you know, the Asian American community get some relief? Yes. I'm being, you can call me selfish for saying that, but we need it. All right. And Congress can most definitely pass it if they stop bickering. All right. Stop bickering. Look, the Democrats want more money for uh, what the, the post office and giving city and states uh, bailouts. Give it to them. Okay, give it to them. 
You got a compromise like that? Fine. Give it to them. Okay. The Republicans want to buy more fighter jets and give more money to the military in this uh, aid package. Give it to them. All right. Give it to them. Okay. The Democrats want uh, to fund more museums and um, what else? All these like liberal arts, you know, liberal, liberal artsy things. Give it to them. Because I don't know if you guys know, but that's that was part of the package from before. Right. The the aid package that with the stimulus bill, whatever you want to call it, the new uh, the what was it called? The Heroes Act. The care was it called the CARES Act. I forget it in the CARES Act or the Heroes Act, whatever it was called, that was supposed to give relief to Americans and businesses. Funded some really crazy things like fighter jets, okay, and uh, museums that have absolutely nothing to do with the coronavirus. So if they want to give more money uh, to those things again, give it to them. All right, give it to them. They're not asking for a, a ridiculous amount like, you know, 100 billion. They may ask for a few million here and there. Compromise. Okay, that's what politicians do. Compromise. Okay, need to get something passed. Skepticism. Okay, we have some vaccine skepticism. I think there was, um, was like 50%, 50% of New Yorkers, 50% or more of New Yorkers are skeptical about taking the vaccine. And the reason why they're skeptical according to Cuomo and the media is because the vaccine comes under Operation Warp Speed by Donald J. Trump. All right. Skepticism, skepticism, right, of this vaccine, according to the media, according to the media, and Andrew Cuomo is there because it's coming under this current administration. Now, if that's, that is the stupidest thing I've heard, but but it's real, right? I mean, I guarantee you there are some people out there, and I do not think this is the majority, that are skeptical of taking the vaccine. They're saying, look, I will not take this vaccine because it's under this current administration, and this current administration is awful. So I'm not going to take this vaccine. Fuck that. I'm not going to take it. But if it was under the Obama administration or the Biden administration, they would probably gladly take it. All right. Like it's like it's like we we've heard a lot of stories about how hydroxychloroquine uh, had saved lives and made people get better from coronavirus, but you know if you're if you had the coronavirus and the doctor said hey look you may have to take some of this uh, you know hydroxychloroquine and we think you'd be okay, right? It's those same people that are gonna say I'm not gonna take right hydroxychloroquine. You know look it's a terrible hill to die on, all right? It's a terrible hill to die on. Take the hydroxychloroquine. Take the fucking vaccine. All right. Now, look. If you're if you're if you're skeptical of the vaccine because um, it's unproven, you know it's it's you feel that it was rushed, even though the CDC said everything has been done according to you know their guidelines and blah blah blah, and you're still you're still skeptical because you were never a vaccine taker in the past, right? You don't take flu shots right, you're a tough guy, then, you know, more power to you, all right, more power to you, uh, 
I've seen a lot of information about about people and their opinions about the vaccine, and it's pretty mixed, right? But it seems like the, all the educated people are saying take it. So for me personally, when it comes out and, and when it's available for me to actually take, you know, I think I take it, right? Um, I think I would take it. I don't have a problem with it, right? I don't have a problem with it. Uh, you're gonna, you might get sick, right? You have to take it twice. There's a, there's shot one and then shot two, like two, three weeks later. <clears throat> you might get sick. All right, you'll get sick for a couple of days, but you know, you'll finally, you you finally don't have to live in fear anymore. I don't know. Like for me, I don't live in fear right now, right? But for some of you, maybe that's a thing, right? So guys, take it. If uh, the government is saying take the vaccine because it's gonna it's gonna help get this country back into economic recovery. Why not, guys? Stop bickering. Take the vaccine. Okay, look, if you live with people who, you know, are, are elderly, or if you live with people who have certain conditions, and if you have the opportunity to take it, take the vaccine. Okay, but look, you read upon it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You make your own decision. But if you ask me, take it. <clears throat> All right. Asian Americans, let's talk about our voter turnout in Georgia. Now, I don't know if you've been following, but there is, um, there is a, a uh, uh, what's happening in Georgia right now is the Senate, both Senate seats, right, are up for grabs and they're doing an election runoff and it's going to end in, I think, January 5th. So if you see the media, there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy behind Georgia because, you know, the, the media... In, and and the left and everyone who's got a blue check mark, they really want to see the two current Republican senators out of office, right? They really want them out of office, so they're all rallying behind Georgia and making sure people Georgians go out and vote. We even have we even have um, Andrew Yang. Apparently, he moved to Georgia. I'm, I'm assuming temporarily, uh, so that he can rally people to vote for these um, uh, Democratic candidates uh, for the Senate. Um, so that's great. That's fine, right? Uh, Georgia's business. Look, personally for me, obviously, I want the two Republican senators, you know, I want them to stay in power, right? Uh, but they may lose, right? Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the current two that are sitting there. I believe it's Purdue and Loeffler. Kelly Loeffler. I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying that last name right. Look, both of them, um, not the biggest fans. I don't want to get into them too much, but it is important. It is an important race, right? Because if they do lose their seats, then the Republican majority can be overturned in the Senate, which is a problem. It's not that the Republican majority is going to be overturned. It's just the Republicans will hold only 50 seats, Right. And uh, if if there is a bill that needs to that that let's just say that the House is pushing, which is Democrat controlled and it goes to the Senate because there's only 50 Republican senators. And the other 50 are Democrats, it's a tie. Right. So let's just say everyone votes in party lines. It's a tie. What happens then? The VP uh, Kamala Harris gets to choose. Right. And of course, she will always choose whatever her party wants. So, in other words, it's, you know, the Democrats will control both the House, the Senate, and also, obviously, the executive seats, right? 
And if you have that kind of control, I'm not saying all these crazy things will pass anyway. I mean, look, Republicans held the held the House and Senate for two years, right? 2018 was it 2000? No, 2016. Was it 17 and 18? No, 2017 and 2018, and they didn't do much, right? So again, I, I don't know, right? I mean, look, it. it I, I personally, I would like to see Republicans hold their seats, but if not, it is what it is. Okay, so why am I talking about Georgia? Why am I talking about Georgia? Look, in Georgia, there is roughly 300,000 registered Asian American voters, 300,000. Just to put that in context, uh, there's about 10.6 million people living in Georgia and 300,000 registered Asian American voters in Georgia. It's a big number, right? It's, it's a number that can swing uh, a state, right, from red to blue or vice versa. It can swing a state. It can swing counties. Like, you know, we're, we're not a small number out in Georgia. So uh, Georgia Asian American vote, very important. Out of the 300,000 Asian Americans, um, 185,000 voted. So that's pretty huge, right? You have more than 50%, like 50, what, 6%, something like that, 56% uh, that actually voted for the ones that can actually vote. That's a pretty big turnout. That's a pretty big turnout. So uh, good for the Asian Americans out there, you know, being involved in voting, um, staying active, Really good to see. Um, really, really good to see. Now, in Georgia, uh, most of the Asian Americans voted overwhelmingly uh, in blue, right? Meaning for Biden. Overwhelmingly Democrat. And, uh, and, and that's, just, that's just what happened. So, look, I have no problem with that. Asian Americans want to vote, want to vote more towards uh, the left side. Go for it. You know, you think Biden is your man? Go for it. No, no problem with that. But I'm not going to assume that. Okay, I'm not going to assume that Asian Americans in a certain area, New York, California, wherever it may be, are going to vote a certain way. Because I don't know. Right. Asian Americans, we're not a monolith. Okay, I don't, I don't think I need to say that. We're not a monolith. Uh, first of all, Asian American, that's such a broad term, right? You have Indian Americans in there. You have uh, Vietnamese Americans, right? You have Chinese Americans, Korean Americans. Like, it's such a broad term. And culturally, we're very different. Okay, so I cannot, no one should assume, all right? No one should assume Asian Americans are going to vote one way or another. Right. Individually speaking. But we all know the trend. Right, guys. I mean, we all know the trend. Look, early 2000s to mid 2000s, Asian Americans generally voted more Republican uh, ever since Obama. Now, now more and more year over year, uh, it looks like they were voting more blue. Right. More Democrat. That's the that's the trend. But it shouldn't be assumed is what I'm saying. Right. And, and, the, and the reason why I say that is because if you look at these three articles from the Washington Post, right? There's a title called Asian America, uh, Asian Americans in Georgia Senate. There's a second article by CNN called uh, Asian American Voters Georgia Senate Runoff, and New York Times the Georgia Asian American Voters, and you know, so on and so forth, right? It, it, it's on the news. So why is it on the news? 
It's on the news because apparently Asian American voters came out in force, which they did, and they really helped the state turn blue. Okay, because uh, again, like I said before, overwhelmingly Asian Americans uh, voted for Joe Biden. Now, again, I don't have a problem with this. All right, totally fine, totally fine. The problem. The problem is if you actually read these articles, okay, if you actually read these articles, they make it sound like, wow, Asian Americans doing the right thing, okay? All three, Washington Post, CNN, New York Times, Asian Americans saving the day. Asian Americans doing the right thing, saving the day and voting for Joe Biden, Why, why, why is there, you know, your opinion, you know, attached to the news? <laughs> okay, I wasn't reading an op-ed. Okay, if I wanted to, if I wanted to know your opinion, I'd read, I'd read the op-ed. But no, we have all the time, I'm reading these articles that talk about Asian Americans voting for uh, Joe Biden or voting Democrat. It's like, oh, praise the Asian Americans, you know, hats off, claps to Asian Americans. Good for Asian Americans for knowing, you know, who to vote for. That's a problem, okay? Do they just assume, hey, Asian Americans, because of the trend, they'll always vote blue, and as, you know, as soon as they vote blue, you know, as soon as they do it, we're gonna praise them. What if, what if you have Asian Americans that vote right? What happens then? What if you have Asian Americans that vote uh, for Republicans? Well, what, what's the language gonna be then? You know, what, what's the language, you know, what are you going to say then? Look, there is, and, uh, and, I, and I spoke about this before. I think her name was Tammy Yam, right? A Tammy Yam. NBC reporter Tammy Yam. You want to know what happens when, a, when, when Asian Americans vote uh, a, a, a conservative, when they vote Republican? This is what happens. You have people like ABC's reporter Tammy Yam calls it troubling. Okay? She uses this, this word very specifically in this article, uh, that she wrote for uh, the NBC News, uh, troubling to see an increase in votes for Trump, according to um, the polls, right? The after polls. She calls it troubling. So it's troubling. So that's that's what that's what people say about will say about Asian Americans. If they vote for Trump, if they vote conservative, then that's troubling. <laughs> like what? Like since like when? Like when, like, when is that a thing? Whether people vote left, whether people vote right, why is it troubling to see in, in any direction? You know, because when you, when, you say this wor- when you say these words, right, like, oh, yes, praise Asian Americans for voting blue and voting left, but it's very troubling, it's very troubling when we see Asian Americans voting right. You're painting a narrative here. Right, you're painting a picture here to say that people who are voting on the conservative side or people who vote for Republicans, they don't know what they're doing or they're evil. Right, I've said this before. Right, uh, can't you know, are, Rep- are Republicans evil? They believe that if you vote for conservative, conservatives or Republicans, then you are evil, and that is troubling. 
And that is not an opinion, apparently. That is apparently not an opinion. Okay. Uh, Tammy M. Okay. Tammy M. I wish I can ask her, why is it so hard for you to accept that Asians have different viewpoints? Okay. Why do you have to call it troubling? All right. Why is that so troubling to you? Look, I, I mean, I can understand why you personally believe that. But if you're writing for the news and you're putting language in like troubling, okay, then you're assuming that Asian Americans should always vote left. And if they vote right, then there is something inherently wrong with them or they are misguided. You can't just give me the facts. Huh? Can you, can you keep your opinions to yourself? You can't just give me the facts. Look, apparently, apparently Trump received 27, 27% of the Asian American votes in 2016, 27%. In this election cycle in 2020, uh, he received 31%, okay? There was a four-point jump, and that's not a small jump. There was a four-point jump within Asian American voter turnout that leaned uh, towards Republicans, Okay, 4% jump. So, so she calls this troubling. Oh, it's a troubling trend, right? We see it's a troubling trend that we see. The Asian Americans are voting for Trump, this racist, bigoted, misogynist bastard. It's a troubling trend. Look, it's troubling to you, Tammy. All right, but just say the news. Shut your damn mouth and write the fucking news. Okay, give me the facts. Okay, I didn't come for an op-ed here. Look, I wish, right, and, and maybe some of you feel this way too, but I wish the news was just the news. Okay, I mean, there's so much of your personal biases and opinions that come in with every news, um, every, every media company, every news company, right? Whether you're talking about CNN, Fox News, uh, ABC, MSNBC, especially MSNBC, they all have their biases. Okay, I, I, I get it. And don't just tell me Fox News is the only, you know, uh, news with the biases. No, if you really, if you truly believe that you're an idiot, okay, if you really think Fox News is the only news outlet out there that uh, uh, has their biases towards conservatives, you're an idiot. Okay? It's because Fox News happens to be one of the very own uh, prominent uh, news network that leans conservative. Okay? Most of the big ones, they lean left. That's not a secret. Everybody knows it. But if you, if you honestly didn't know it, then you're an idiot. Okay? You're an idiot. Wake up. You're an idiot. Anyway, Anyway, look. At the end of the day, right? It shouldn't be troubling. Okay? It should not be troubling. I, there is no reason for Asian Americans to have different political viewpoints. That's totally fine. Look, most of my friends, they're left-leaning. They're liberals. Very progressive. Okay? I don't call their opposing views to me troubling. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say it was troubling. Look, I respect their views. I respect their opinion. We have our differences, but they're still my people. And they're still my community. Okay? The, the more you paint 
you know, this picture that Republicans are evil. The more you paint that uh, this this narrative that if you have any conservative bone in you, then you are uh, then you're a sexist, you're a misogynist, you're a racist, you're anti this, you're, you know, the name calling, you're a Nazi. All right. That's so that's a favorite one they love to use. You're a Nazi. You're a Russian what is it? A, 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 you're a you're a you're agent of Russia. <laughs> okay, look, we can have different views. Asian Americans can absolutely have different viewpoints. It's fine. Okay, it's fine. Doesn't mean, right, that the Asian American who has a, a different viewpoint of yours, they're less educated or they're less intelligent. They don't need your lecture. Okay, they don't need your Instagram uh, bullet points. On why you're on why you're right and they're wrong. Okay, if you if you really care that much, then talk to them, have a conversation, have a debate. Sure, why not? You know, let the free flow of ideas happen. Right, the different point of views. Let that happen. If you stop that from, if you stop that, if you just say, "Well, this guy is, uh, you know, this guy is a right wing nut, and I'm not going to speak to him," um, then you know that's on you. If that right wing nut gave out a hand and say, "Hey," extended an olive branch and said, "Hey, look, let's have a discussion. Who knows? Maybe, maybe I can change your mind. Maybe you'll see my point, and maybe you won't. You know, maybe you'll stop calling me names. Maybe. Listen, have that." Okay, I'm all for that. Have that at, have that instead. Instead of the name calling. Instead of this passive aggressive troubling uh uh terminology. Okay? Like if you're going to if you're going to have an opinion, right? Leave that for the op-ed. All right, Tammy? Leave that for the op-ed. Look. Enough of that. Look, I I got to talk about Mayor Bill de Blasio again, our favorite mayor of New York City. Oh, Bill de Blasio. So, apparently, uh, November 23rd, okay, uh, some of you may have heard this story, November 23rd, Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City, right, Mayor of New York City, he apologized, he apologized to Asian Americans, right, you know, he does that daily uh, briefing about coronavirus, and one of those things, uh, there was a, he has like a Q&A section towards the latter portion of his briefing, and uh, a reporter asked him, um, I forgot, the reporter's name escapes me, but the reporter or journalist asked him, you know, oh, what, what, you know, throughout this pandemic, you know, Asian Americans have been suffering so much. Um, and we've seen, you know, he goes about, you know, what's going on with Asian Americans. And then he kind of frames the question where he said, uh, how you know we especially felt Asian Americans we we especially felt the pain when it came to uh, specialized high schools in New York City, right? Uh, that that was number one and number two. Uh, the, the the journalist also asked, look, and also Asian Americans, we need to know why uh, every time the program W. I'm sorry, MWBE, which is uh, which stands for Minority Women Business uh, Enterprise, 
it's basically a, it's a it's a program that came out in the nineties uh, where if you're a minority woman of color and you're trying to get and you're a business owner, um, there w- there will be certain contracts from the city that you have priority to, right? So why isn't the uh, and, and, and you know it's a long name, right? Uh, the Minority Women Business Enterprise. So I'll just call it the M- the MWBE. Why isn't that whenever that's brought up, right, by the first lady, which is the, uh, Bill de Blasio's wife, why isn't Asian Americans ever included in the language? Okay, because uh, the first lady, she has all when she, when she, when she speaks about this program, um, she always mentions uh, African Americans, right, the black community and the Hispanic community, but she never mentions the Asian American community. And whenever she does mention it, right, whenever she does mention it, it it's always forced. Someone always has to call her out about like, hey, what about Asian Americans? Right? What about Asian Americans? And she'll always say something. There was a couple of times this happened. She'll say, oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> right? Like the fact that we didn't name Asian Americans in the list of of minorities that will benefit from this program, that was a mistake. And it's happened not once, but several times. And because it has happened several times, it became a problem, right? People, Asian Americans started to pick up on it and say, look, aren't we a minority? Don't we deserve, you know, uh, the, the, the city contracts as well? And to be honest, I don't know if whenever the first lady announces right uh like this program and the revival of this program and how it's going and you know because this program has been ongoing i think in the past asian american women have always had access to this program the mwbe program but it's just never publicly sort of announced right like so if you're if you're a, an asian american woman um, New York City, you have a business and you're looking for a city contract. Um, I believe it's available. It's always been available to you. But whenever you see the wording or the verbiage of the program, Asian Americans aren't really um, not. Well, not aren't, they're, just, they're just not listed. Right. I mean, now they are right now. They are like after several, several times of Asian Americans complaining. Yes, now we are. But before our, you know, the term Asian American was always left out. Even if, if it actually might have been available, if you were to actually apply for it, but it was never, uh, it was never, how do you say it, advertised that way, right? So the first lady had a had an answer to that many times, and uh, she always kind of fumbled, right? She always sort of fumbled the answer. Oh, it was uh, it was a mistake. The person who wrote my uh, speech or the or the program, um, there was a uh, an oversight. It was always some bullshit excuse. Anyway. So, so this reporter had, had to ask these two questions and the mayor had to answer for these two items, right? One, specialized high school, and two, why aren't Asian Americans ever included in the, w, in the MWBE? So the first one, the specialized high school. So if you guys don't know, uh, I don't want to speak too much on this, but basically, they, so in New York City, we have these specialized high schools, right? I'm sure many of you guys know Stuyvesant, there's Bronx Science, Brooklyn Tech, and there's like a couple of others. And to get into this school, you, you have to, 
you have to take a test, right, called the SHSAT. I remember when I was a junior high school student myself, I remember taking this test. Now, this test is completely merit-based, right? Meaning there's no, they don't look in your personality. They don't look in your whole being, right? Like how much wholesomeness does a 13-year-old have? I don't know, right? But uh, they, take, they, they, they look at none of it. They just look at purely test scores, purely test scores. And there was a, a school chancellor, um, Richard was a Richard Carranza, and he was the one that was that was very adamant against. Hey, Asian Americans, I'm sorry, not Asian Americans. Hey, guys, SHSAT's got to go. We're gonna look at other metrics. Asian Americans obviously got upset. They fought against it, so it wasn't passed this year, right? The vision that they had, him and Mayor De Blasio, with the test going away. There was a lot of pushback for it, and it was never passed this year. So it moves on. Um, they will they will try to revive it again next year. I'm assuming it's not going to go through, right? And I, I spoke about this before in the in the previous podcast. So uh, why am I bringing this up? Because Mayor Bill De Blasio, <clears throat> he has to he felt the need to kind of I guess answer for a lot of the Asian American families who felt that they were being targeted when you get rid of this specialized high school entry exam. And also for constantly not including Asian Americans in the MWBE. So he apologized. And uh, look, if you if you really want to look at the apology video, it's on it's on um, it's on YouTube. The problem with his apology, right, is the way he did it. He made it sound like he made it sound like, look, Asian Americans. Uh, I know I didn't I didn't think it would affect you this much, but it, it, it apparently did. And I wasn't meant to be so offensive to you guys. So sorry. Sorry, I guess. And that's it. Right. And that's it. It's like if it was if it was a real apology. Right. If it was a real apology, he would have said, look. Uh, the vision that we had for specialized high schools and making it more diverse, we went about it at the wrong way and we promised never to go about it in this way again. Right? I mean, your apology as, as, look, you're a mayor. Okay, you're a mayor. You have authority and you have power to do certain things. You have to back that apology up with some with something on the table. Okay. With something on the table, the fact that you just said, "Oh, look, I, I guess I'm sorry. I think I'm sorry," because you got because you feel bad, you know, because you Asian Americans, you guys feel bad. But I guess I'm sorry. You can't give me that. You know, you can't give me that. Like that, that doesn't feel like an apology. So, I don't know. Look, you, you know, you guys listen to the apology. You tell me, right? Do you think he was genuine? Do you think that changes anything? Nah, I don't know. For me. Uh, not, not a fan of the apology. Not a fan. Okay. But, uh, look, at least he apologized. I don't know. I'll at least give him that. Right. Because when you apologize, you, to some degree, you're admitting, uh, uh, fault, right? There is an admission of error to some degree. Right. And, and politicians hate apologizing because they never want to be wrong and they always come up with excuses and, and all these things. But at least there was an apology. So I'll, I'll give Bill 
that I'll give him something. I'll give him some credit. But as mayor, I definitely expect him to do a little bit more, right? Back that apology up with a, with a statement, with a vow, with, you know, we'll never do this again, right? Something, but nothing. So I don't know. Do you think his apology was good? You tell me. All right. Let's speak. Let's speak about why some Asian women, why some Asian women prefer that white D over their own, okay? Over their own people's D, okay? And for those of you who don't know what D means, it means dick, okay, guys? Just in case we have some naive listeners out there, why some of our Asian American sisters prefer white men over Asian men? This is a fun topic. This is a fun topic. And you'll know why I really want to talk about this topic later on. But, you know, let's let's kind of talk about racial preference for a bit. Okay? Look, to me, to me, personally, your racial preference is totally fine. All right? I don't find it racist and I don't find it offensive or anything. Okay? It's totally fine. I don't give a fuck. Okay? Again... Your racial preference, I don't care. I really don't, you know? I know these days racial preference is kind of, it's, it's I not kind of, it is considered racist, right? It's racism for all the different reasons that you can think of. It is racism. And, uh, but, you know, for me, I, I don't really think you can't really force, right, a woman or a man uh to be attracted to a specific race when they're just not into them, right? If, if, if I hear... Look, if I hear a white guy say, look, I'm just I'm just not into I'm just not into black women. Right. He's going to be seen as the most racist motherfucker out there and he'll never say it, even if that's the truth. And I'm sure that's the truth for many men out there. Okay, That I'm sure that is the hard truth for many men to not prefer black women. And when I when I say many men, not just white men. All right. I'm talking about Asians, about Hispanics. I'm sure they think that, all right? But obviously, you can't say that, especially about black women. You can't say anything about black women these days. You can't say that. You can't joke. You can't say that, right? So, because uh, that is that will be considered racist. Now, the other way around, uh, there is many women. <clears throat> there are men. There is men. There are many women out there who will say, yeah, I just don't like Asian guys. Eh, just, you know, eh, you know, you'll have Asian women saying, nah, I'm just not really into Asian guys. You know, and you'll have most white women or other ethnicities say, I'm just not into Asian guys. Okay. All right. Look, look, you're not into, you're not into, what can I do? You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, if I hear, I'm not going to, oh, you're so racist. You're so racist. Not gonna do that. <clears throat> now look, you can blame it, right? You can blame it on the media and the shitty portrayal of Asian men in Hollywood, right? You can blame it. On, you can blame Hollywood, right, for sexualizing and fetishizing our Asian sisters, right? Because Asian women are very desired, right? According to all these dating app uh, analytics, right? Uh, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen some of them. Asian women are, I think, like twice as more desirable than an Asian man 
And I think Asian men uh, in the totem pole of desirability are at the very lowest. And on the women's side, it's black, uh, black women. Look, you can, you can blame it on the stereotypes that we know of, right? The small dick stereotype, uh, whatever, the geeky, nerdy stereotype. I get it. And that's fine. You know, like, I'm not agreeing with it, but, I'm, but I get it. I get where, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of non-desirability of Asian men. I, I see why that's kind of a thing. But look, that's not, that to me, again, that's not a problem. Okay? Racial preference, to me, not a problem. Okay? Look, growing up, and this is where it... it sort of starts to become problematic for me. Okay, look, growing up, you know, I've heard a lot of, a lot of Asian sisters, right? a lot of Asian American sisters tell, uh, tell me and, and tell other dudes and just say very just nonchalantly, right? I mean, maybe you don't hear it these days. I don't really know, but I would still assume it's kind of prevalent. I don't date Asian guys. I don't date Asians, right? You hear that, you hear that. You hear, I'm talking about Asian women specifically saying, I don't date Asians because they're dweeby, they're nerdy, they're not cool, they're geeks, <clears throat> they got a nasally voice, you know, Na- you know, apparently a lot of uh, Asian, Asian men, we, all, we talk like this, very nasally, it's not very attractive, right, it's not very manly, oh, you remind me of my brother, ew, <laughs> right, I mean, you hear that, right, oh, you remind me of my cousin, Look now, if you grew up in an area, right? You're a, you're a, you're Asian. You're an Asian woman, and you grew up in an area with very few Asians, and uh, you wanted to be more like your black friends or your white friends. I can understand that, right? I can understand that you wanted to fit in more, and if you were seen dating an Asian, um, you would get made fun of or it just wasn't cool at the time. I can understand that. Look, if you wanted to experiment. Let's say you, you've only dated Asians, right? You're, you're someone straight from Korea or straight from China or a different Asian country. And you've been to the United States and look, you've always kind of dated within your culture and within your race. Uh, and you wanted to, uh, you know, experiment and you found a black dude. And now because you found that black dude, you can't, you know, you can't ever date an Asian guy. I wonder why. All right. Look, if you if you're that, you know, I can understand. Believe it or not. I look, I get it. I can understand. Look, maybe you wanted some status and some money and some power and you figured an Asian man couldn't give you that. So you went with that yellow fever white boy. Okay, you went with that guy, that white boy with yellow fever. I can understand that, too. I look again. For Asian women with these racial preferences that say, ooh, I don't date Asian guys. I just don't find Asian men attractive. Look, not going to shit on you. Not going to shit on you. That's fine. Okay? I have no problem with that. If you like that white dick, go for it. If you want to get blacked, go for it. Okay? Go for it. But, but, there is a problem all right, when you act like you're all for the Asian American community, right, and you're out there doing Asian American activism and, and you're pro Asian and you're raising your voice and 
while you're doing that, you also shit on white privilege and shit on white people, right? There's a problem when you're doing all that, but you go back home sucking on your white man's cack. That's a problem. All right, am I crazy? The fact that you're out there, you know, being all pro-Asian and being all, you know, for Asian Americans and you, and you shit on white people and white privilege, but you go back home to your white man's dick. Isn't that a little, isn't that like, just like, I don't know. Isn't that, I don't know. What do you, look, what do you guys think? Look, can you walk and chew gum at the same time? I don't know. With this one, with this specific case, I don't know. All right, let me talk about Jamie Chung. This is a great example. Jamie Chung. Sure, many of you know her. She's an actress, um, Korean American. She's also very outspoken about uh, being Korean American and well, being more Asian American and how Asians are portrayed in media and, and all this and that. And uh, she once told in 2018, the Korea Times, it's a Korean uh, newspaper. She said the narrative needs to change. Asian American actresses don't want to be the damsels in distress anymore. We don't want to be saved, especially by a white man. Okay? She's <laughs> especially by a white man. Now, uh, you said this in 2018, yet you've been married to a white guy for three years at that point, right? She married a white dude in 2015. What the hell is that about? All right, now, now look, she was saying all this in, in 2018, I'm sure y'all remember, was like the height of the Me Too movement, right? Early 2018 was the absolute, uh, like the peaking of the Me Too movement, right? It, just, it was a, a culmination of events and it led to like 2018, I remember Me Too movement was a big, big, big thing. A little over like two and a half years ago. So, uh, Ms. Chung all right, I, I, I mean, you still go by Jamie Chung, even though you're married, which is fine with me. Uh, look, you just said, okay, you don't want to be saved, especially by a white man, right? Those are your own words. And yet, you married a white guy. Does, I mean, does that, you know, does that, does that, like, do you do that to sort of, are you, are you saying all these things and being all, you know, pro Asian Americans and all, are you, is that, are you trying to like overcompensate because you married a white guy? Like, I don't get it. Why do you got to shit on, you know, white men when your own husband is white? Okay. I mean, that just, you know, like you're, what I'm trying to say is you're not the best spokesperson to speak out against white men. Just saying, I, you know? And if you ask me why, I mean, I would say, uh, look who you go back home with, okay? Look, on your social media post, Jamie, Jamie Chung, social media, um, she, makes, she constantly makes bold statements, right, about Asian Americans and uh, the power, the, the issue with white privilege and how Asian Americans are being portrayed as uh, you know, all these negative stereotypes in media and Hollywood and uh, how she's trying to fight against that. And she's always kind of shitting on the white man. But look who you're going home to. 
Like, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, if it wasn't for your white husband, okay, that you've been going home to for the, the past five years, you know, I think I'd be a little bit more on board with what you're saying. But the fact that, you know, it's like, you know what, you know what, it just, I'm just, I'm just honest. I'm just being honest. It feels like, it feels like I'm reading some health magazine and there is a fat kid on the cover telling me how to be healthy. All right. It's like a fat kid on the cover telling me how I should, you know, exercise and, uh, you know, eat all these healthy foods and he's giving, and he's like the biggest advocate for health, yet he's like disgustingly obese and, all, and has all these, uh, uh, you know, health issues himself. But he's giving me the health advice. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Like, it just, to me, it just doesn't click. All right? It, it doesn't, it, I don't, I can't, I can't reconcile the two. Like, right, you're, you're, you're out there shitting on white people and you're all for, you know, Asian Americans and you make all these bold statements, right? But you go back home to your white man. You go, look, again, like I said before, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with Jamie Chung or any other Asian American women marrying or dating or fucking around outside their own race. I don't care. All right. If you if you're an Asian American woman and you said, look, Asian dick is too small for me. I need that big black dick. All right. I need that BBC. Then more power to you. I hope you get it. Go for it, sister. Do what you got to do. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> look, go for it. But don't go around being all pro Asian and acting like you're for the Asian American community and uh, shitting on all, you know, on men, blah, 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 and doing all these things, yet you go home back to the very people you shit on. Okay, so that's my problem. Look, I kind of feel the same way with AOC, right? AOC, she, she shits on white privilege and white people and, on, you know, eat the rich and all these, you know, all these things. Great. Guess what? She's dating a white dude. Surprise, surprise. You know, she's, she was, uh, apparently he uh, was part of her camp. I don't know if they met before the campaign or not, her campaign. But he was um, like, a, like a campaign advisor or something when she was running for Congress. It, not that that's uh, relevant at all, but I'm just saying she's dating a white dude. Kind of odd. Kind of odd to speak on like racial equity and all these things when at the end of the day you go back home sucking a white dick, right? Sorry to be so uh, vulgar, but you you go back home on your knees to a white dick in your mouth. Talk about Kamala Harris. I think uh, she's she married. I think she's married or she's married. Yeah, she's married to a white guy. And I remember Charlemagne on The Breakfast Club once kind of brought it up. Like, does that, like, you know, what kind of message does that send, right? You're, you're like so pro-black uh, America and you're so pro-black people, yet you go home 
to a white man, right? Because it's it, and look, I'm sure black people they they see that and it kind of eh a little bit, right? Just you know, I'm not saying everybody, but I'm sure to many it does, right? And I think she answered that question in a very very uh, typical politician-y way. I forgot how she answered it, but she said something along, along the lines of, "Look, uh, we shouldn't." Um, be judged for the people who we fall in love with, um, blah, 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 right? Which, and she's totally correct, right? You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be. But, you know, if you're going to shit on white people for a living, right, and be all pro-racial equity and about your people, your community, your community meaning your ethnic group, but your 50%, okay, your lover, your other half is a white man, it's a little, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's a little, eh. Ilhan Omar, dating a white dude. Not surprised. Dating a white dude. All right, look. At the end of the day, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I said before, racial preference, I don't care. Okay? Can be an Asian woman dating a white guy. Go for it. Okay? He, you're, dating, you're dating the white guy because you feel that Asians... You know, they're not attractive. Asian men are not attractive. Fine. You're you. You do you. Okay. You, you're dating a white guy because you feel that, you know, he's like your white savior. You know, and then the white man's going to give you w- warmth and love and security. And he loves his little Asian exotic, you know, pet. And that's you. And you're okay with it. More power to you. Go for it, sis. I don't care. I don't care. Okay. Again problem it's you know when i see prominent asian american women right really outspoken people with blue check marks right asian american women and they speak up they do all these great things they all say all these great things and 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 they speak about being pro asian american community and all this but they go back home to a white man i just personally I, i and i'm being honest i can't respect that i cannot I cannot respect that. Maybe if there were, maybe if there was some honesty going on, right? Maybe if they spoke out about it, because rarely do they actually speak out about their relationship with the white guy, right? With, with their with their white husband or boyfriend. Rarely do they speak because people call them out on it. You hear, you see it all the time, and whenever this is brought up, people say, "Oh, these Asian men that that." That bash on these Asian women, they're misogynists, they're sexist, and their toxic Asian masculinity is, you know, um, you know, you hear all these nasty things. Look, a lot of that is probably true. A lot of that is probably true. But for me, if you're more honest about it, right? If you're out there and you're saying all these things about pro Asia and pro Asian, you know, uh, things and making bold statements, great. And you're going home back to a white dick. All right then I would like to see, look, I would like you to go out there and say something. Maybe something like, look, growing up, I didn't find Asian men attractive. Okay, I ended up marrying a white guy. Nonetheless, I still fight for, or I still fight against stereotypes, right? To emasculate Asian men. I'm still pro-Asian men, even though I know it looks bad. I know I may not be the best advocate for it. If you say something along those lines, because that's being really honest, right? Because that's you understanding your how you're perceived, and that's you coming out there before 
the waves of negative, uh, you know, hurtful criticism and comments come at you, that's you being in front of it, right? And to me, that's bold and that's very, that's very refreshing and that's very, that's honest and that's something I'll really respect. But I haven't seen anyone do that, right? I don't see anyone do that. Who wants to do that? Who wants to be honest in 2020? No one wants to be honest. Guys, <clears throat> let's wrap it up, all right? Look, I know, I know I say a lot of things, okay? I know I say a lot of things that may make you feel uncomfortable. And it's because I'm saying the quiet part out loud, all right? Many of you listeners, you know, you guys hold respectable jobs in high-profile companies where you may not be so free to speak, especially in this day and age. And as we all continue to think and wrestle, right, what it means to be Asian American, I want to challenge you guys to continually have your own opinions, have your own thoughts. You're all smart individuals. You're more than capable, more than capable of forming your own thoughts without being told what to think. Okay? The media love to tell us how to feel, how to think, what to say, to be safe, to be in the trend. I'm challenging you guys to come outside that bubble. Okay? Don't be so quick to judge your opposing views. I'm sure that, look, the things that I say and my views are completely opposite of many of yours. And that should be fine. Right? That should be fine. You should be fucking with me because of who I am. Right? Because you support me as an individual. And I'll say this. Look, if you, if you don't really know, you know what's actually going on, and if you don't really know the, the, the truth of, of certain situations of political matters, the best thing to say is that you don't know. Right? You don't know. Say, I don't know. Look, you know, I, I know this is what the media is telling me to think and say, but the honest truth, I haven't done enough research. That is a lot more respectable than going out and acting like you know everything <clears throat> when you don't really know what's going on. Okay? Look, it's okay. I'll tell you right now. It's okay to say that, hey, uh, look, Republicans may have a valid policy point. It's okay to say that, guys. Your parents aren't completely nuts. Your parents aren't all crazy. It's okay to say that Asian American students, that their seats shouldn't be stolen by affirmative action. It's okay to have that opinion. It's absolutely okay to have that opinion. And it's absolutely okay to question Asian Americans who seem like they're fully on board with Asian activism and you can question that because uh, of who they because when you see who they go home to, it's okay. You can question that. It's fine. That's fine. Okay, guys, I'll leave you with that. And guys, look, guys, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Reminder: if you haven't done so, please reach out. Right? Please reach out to me. Do it right now. Uh, send me a DM, shoot me a text, and tell me that you listen. We'd love to know who you guys are. Again, this is the Millennial Boomer Podcast. If you enjoy the show, uh, please subscribe, follow to this podcast, and follow the podcast's Instagram page at Millennial Boomer 
underscore. That is at millennial boomer underscore. Special thanks to the brother Brian Shin for editing. Thank you.